Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to part two of this uh, Stompcast. Um, Stacey and I are wandering through Southampton common it is absolutely beautiful it is massive you're right it's beautiful there's dogs this running is, around this is lake two on our left La- here two of three, two three. We, we, we are having a real tour and it's beautiful and a reminder to everyone that if you haven't already follow the uh, Stompcast page because emma who's got the, the beautiful camera with her is taking fantastic photos and we put loads of those photos on there so you can see these places it's beautiful to see yeah it's, see it's, nature it's pretty glorious you shared so powerfully and openly in part one and we're going to kind of pick up that conversation here and i would like to delve in time into post-traumatic growth which is something that you talk about and i think is a really really important topic for everyone to kind of to kind of understand have a, have a thought about because you know we don't know what's going to happen in life and being able to grow through stuff is really important so yes let's let's pick up with my the, with the story i was going to share so i remember being a first year doctor an f1 doctor this is back in 2015 I was working in King's College Hospital in London and I remember um, I was working on the medical team at that time so the A&E doctors would see the patients and they refer to the medical inpatient team we'd go down and clerk the patients see the patient assess them follow up the scans and then the consultant would come down and see them so I remember a case and it was probably one of the first ones where I kind of seen the kind of almost injustice of life I don't know what the word is but I remember this couple coming in and they were in their no more than late 20s uh, and the and the husband was a teacher and he basically had a seizure he'd had a seizure um, and he'd come in with this seizure that was a full tonic clonic so whole body seizure yeah. he'd had headaches for a few weeks there was things that i was worried about and we were concerned about the a e team had organized a scan of the head and i'd come down to clark him i took the history and by the end of my history and examination I was pretty worried. Yeah. Um, I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't look good. And you have a gut feeling. And they talk about like AI and doctors as a whole different thing, but so much of it's in your gut. And I could just feel in my gut this was something very serious. So um, I saw the initial scan and it, uh, I suspected that there was a tumour there. Um, and the report came through from the uh, radiologist to the consultants to look at the scans that indeed there was, and it was pretty significant. Oh, no. And it was devastating. They had young children, and oh. it was such a difficult... It was so difficult. And the reason I say this is because, yes, we do see a lot of this stuff, and, of course, there is some level of... I think numbing is, is overplays it massively because we're all humans, but you, you kind of kind of get used to it not that's not the, really the word but you're like okay like i'm going to see this let's try and muddle through it but yeah. it hurts right so um i remember the consultant came down the medical consultant said i'm going to speak to them because it was just like an f1 doctor's not going to do that it was not appropriate you needed someone with real experience a consultant's going to do that so yeah. they came down and i just remember watching the conversation and just being like and uh, you know that person didn't did, did pass away and it wasn't it wasn't long after the diagnosis oh, and really? it was just 
No, it, it wasn't, and it was it was it was really hard, and I, I really remember that case, and it really affected me for a long time. Yeah, because I, I felt it did. a deep injustice. Can I just stop you? Yes. Just quickly. So this is the ornamental lake ah. where um, I. So it was literally just over there. The pontoon isn't there anymore because um, I think some teenagers like set fire to it. <laughs> That's, that's not good. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, the, there was a pontoon and I used to sit, I don't remember the water being this dirty, but I used to just sit. That's and, not nostalgia for you. Yeah, no. In, yeah, in my <laughs> memory, it was beautiful, clear, yeah. tropical water. And I would sit here and um, just eat my fruit salad. And it was just this really basic mm. way to bring me back to life. Well, it was and I absolute mindfulness, wasn't it? You were immersive, your feet were in, in the water. In a way that I didn't know at that point. It's fascinating because we talk, um, I talk a lot about the five senses. I've talked about it in my books, talk a lot in the podcast. In fact, early episodes of the Stompcast, we used to do the five senses with every guest at the start. And I just tried to get people into the habit of it because it's a great way to bring yourself to the present, isn't it? The food you taste, the yes. smell, the yeah. sensations, the visual, what, what you feel. You're sat on here, it's cold water, your feet are in the yeah. water. Yeah, and listening to Nature. Just nature. And being in a city centre, mm. but also, also there. here. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I, I, that, that was that, that experience from that. And I, I think the reason that I mention it in this scenario is because, yeah, I guess, you know, it, it's just a realisation of how unfair life can be. And so I just wonder when you reflect, do you see it in that way? Because I know that many people go that, you know, many people would look at that and say, this is really unfair what's happened to you. Do you feel that way or do you have a different view of it? No, I don't really view, I don't really view anything in life like, like that. Mm. And I'm, hmm, I'm just trying to think about why, why do I not think that? And I don't want like, to change your view about yeah, no. say that, I, don't know. <laughs> I really should think you are, but, but it, it, I think there's something for people to really learn from that or take away from it because it's easy for these things to overcome you and to go, this is not fair, this is, yeah, do, I do think, you know what I mean? I think I... Do you know that actually one of the very, very first things that came up for me, uh, when we were first told about Greg having cancer, and then a few days later, after he'd had the scans, it was diagnosed as stage four. And in that intermediate bit, he was in hospital, and there was lots of times when I just had to be on my own, just in the hospital, hanging around for hours and hours on end. So because of all I was there so many hours for so many weeks, the first, one of the first things I did was I went and bought a notebook from the shop at the hospital and I just I had all of these thoughts and feelings that were just in me and I just was wanted to get them out of me and the very first thing I wrote was I cannot let this break me I cannot become bitter and rigid because of this that was like the very, very wow. first thing that's I went so to. Power, that's so and I And I don't know where that, I don't know where so that comes powerful. from. I don't wow. know where that comes from. But do you think it was an awareness of that time that, that it could, if you let it? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, think I realised that. And, and weirdly, I don't think I was going as far as to say, oh, I'm really, had a, I really glad I had a breakdown in my early 20s. But I think because I was at such a rock bottom then and... Sure. I managed to get myself out of it enough to be able to leave Southampton and go back to university and and actually do really well in my life which is something I thought I was going to end up in like a hospital 
for years. Mm. It was that, it was that bad. And I think that knowledge that I had all, I have overcome something. Mm. And that almost links back a little bit as to what we were saying at the end of that first part, that no one would choose suffering. And no one would choose no, bad things to happen no. to people that you love. But in some ways, like when that happens, it, it does, I teach you something is a, a, such a loaded word, but there's something that you, you learn from that. And I just wonder whether you could talk to us a little bit about post-traumatic growth. It's something that, that you talk about. And, and I, it, really, it really captures something within me because I think it's something that is so important for everyone because I go back to that original statement almost that it's inevitable that bad things happen in your life. Yeah. We're not going to have a rosy, an entirely rosy life. You know, people have different cards dealt and I completely yeah. understand that, or I don't understand that in some ways, but it's inevitable. So what do you mean about post-traumatic growth and what I did you experience yeah, that for I, yourself? Because you have gone on to achieve so much and are continuing to achieve yeah, so much. Yeah, I think for me, and this happened really quickly, like I said, it was literally straight away, my gut instinct was like almost giving myself a pep talk of like, this cannot kill you this you you will do this you absolutely and you and you will do this and you will be okay more than okay and i think what came from that is and i think this this is what happens when you are up close with death and i hadn't experienced i'd, I'd experienced death and i'd experienced grief but not in such close quarters and i think when you are around it in that way it gives you a sense a really true sense that all the cliches are true of people say you're not promised tomorrow we don't know when we're gonna go you, you know you think you have time all that kind of stuff mm. that said quite glibly sometimes mm. it became so pressing to me and and I thought to myself I cannot die with Greg because I think I have seen that in other people in my life that someone else has physically died but the person who is left or people who have left kind of died too and it's almost like that that hole that was left in their heart that they can't move forward yeah with that and, hole. and that's absolutely not a judgment no. at all because I think you know who's to say how I would react say it was one of my kids who, who's to say how I would react at any given time, but... Do you think part of it, and I, I um, again, it's, it's so, honestly, the world is so odd. I, I mean, I recorded um, this morning, um, I started something in Behind the Stomp that's, that's, I've been wanting to do for a while, and that's where I basically do like a mini stomp of my own, call it Dr. Alex's Diaries, and just record little thoughts that I have. You know, when you're walking, you're talking about reflecting, like little yeah, thoughts I've had that's really about nice. topics. So coming up to when clear past, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about like grief and like how I view the whole idea of like getting over grief. And I'm doing that by, by doing that inverted commas with my fingers um, because I have quite a, a view on that. And, and the idea that a lot of it is accepting that there will be that hole or that box in your head that's there and it's living with it, not trying yeah. to get rid of it. And I think yeah. a lot of the pain is trying to, when you're trying to separate and go, okay, I'm over that or I've got over that that is sometimes what holds you in that place for so long. So I kind yeah. of recorded that and I've took that's, you know, I'm going to put it out and you know, see what you guys think about it. But do, yeah, like, do you think part of it is going, do you know what, there's always, you know, Greg is always going to be that important person that isn't here now, but the memories and keeping his memories alive and almost living your life 
with that as part of your journey rather than to go like before and after did you see what i mean yeah absolutely and i i think the same as you of the i think to to try to avoid grief is an absolute recipe to for it to come back on you mm. tenfold later yeah. on and i the think the jack in the box thing almost yeah, you to push it, it down is. And, push, and you can hold it down but as soon as you don't focus on penning it down for a moment something distracts you maybe something happens you're like boof yeah it pops out exactly Absolutely. And I think that's what happened with the breakdown I had in my early 20s. I had some things that happened in my teens. I was just about to do my GCSEs mm. and I, I just thought, I can't, I can't, have, I can't think mm. about this now. I pushed it all down. And then, yeah, when there's a little space in your brain oh, it comes and up. it <laughs> comes back at you. Um, with interest, I think, Oh, well. absolutely. Like a truck. So I think I, I did learn a lot for this particular situation where... I thought I've got to go through this. I've got to be in it. And I've I've wondered over over time because I do talk a lot about grief and about death mm. that that people might look at that and think to themselves like she's wallowing in it. Mm. Like and, and people don't like to sit in uncomfortable mm. situations. But really, I mean, a lot of this is I love the idea of community and I have found a big community with people who resonate with these topics. Um, but also, like, I'm doing my own therapy here. <laughs> like, I'm, I know the impact of avoiding really hard things and... And talking about it over and over again. Yeah, It, it, it is about dealing with, with it and, you know, and, and of course, I, I, I mean, I... I can't imagine how difficult it is to come and talk to me and we're bringing this up and we're talking about it. But I guess in some ways it is, you know, I wonder, you know, you've had these conversations that you faced and, and if you hadn't have done perhaps a lot of that self-work, it might have been even harder to do this. So I think that wallowing thing is an interesting point because I think the whole, the whole feeling of feels and being in grief, but almost actively with a purpose. It's like, I'm going to feel this. Like when it comes around to the anniversaries of people passing, yeah. I think it's really important actually to kind of, I think, to immerse yourself in their memories and the moments. If you feel sad, feel sad. If you're happy, be happy. If you're gonna laugh about memory, laugh. Because like you said, it's kind of otherwise you're pushing it all down, aren't you? And then, then it's yeah. gonna come out somewhere. I, Absolutely, I just think you can't and I think that. what you're saying about you know, the wallowing and what other people might think, that's very much based on what they don't know. Mm. If, if someone hasn't lost their sibling to suicide or someone's partner hasn't died of cancer in front of them, it's, I don't know, it's really easy to think, well, they sh it would probably be better for them if they just kind of just focused on happier things. Why don't you go on holiday or something? Like. Mm. <laughs> take up a new hobby and I don't think unless you've been in certain situations and that's been such a massive learning curve for me of thinking you know I hear about someone's infertility something like that and I think well I don't know I don't know so I'm not going to think about what you need to be doing mm. I'm gonna just bear witness to it I think that's that's it isn't it because grief morphs over time and it doesn't go but it changes and yeah it's almost like this this little companion that's with you but it is it's literally the flip side of the same coin of love yeah. you only experience grief because if you have any attachment to mm. something or someone so if someone dies who 
you don't really know it well, you might experience some feelings. If, if like the most important person or the person you mm. shared your childhood with dies, like it's, you know, there's on the scales, it, it, it balances out that your grief is going to be yeah. big. And, and I mean, the question is, is you know, people, people think, well, would you want, do you want to be over it? And I, I think I often say, and again, I've talked, and it's a whole tangent, I've, I've talked about this in, in that clip I've, I've recorded, but like, do you want to actually be over that person in full? I don't know. It's a t tricky one. Like, I think feeling, it, you want to f feel, I think that some ways that pain is the, re is the resonance of what you, remnants of what you have of them, isn't it? The feeling yeah. of, like, I feel. I'm, and I'm I don't, I, I think, some of it's about terminology, isn't it? Because over it is, is very much associated with, like if you had a bad breakup with mm. someone and you, you are banging on about them months and months later and someone's like, wouldn't it be good if you just kind of moved on? Mm. And it's not, it's not that, mm. it's way more sticky and mm. complicated than that. And I, I don't know, when I think, I think about my nan, I was really, really close to my nan when I was a kid. She died when I was only 10, but she had such a profound effect on me that whenever I talked about her to my mum, I'd burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And I mean like 15 years later, I would just talk about her and be overcome with emotion. And now, like I talk about her and I don't have that, but that's not that I don't love her as much or she's not as important to me and I think I don't know, maybe that is the passage of time that the, yeah. the, the wound isn't It's the exposure, so there's kind of, um, there's the, like a lot of the, I guess, psychological theory and stuff, they talk about like, you know, when you immediately, when you immediately experience and you kind of let all the emotions out, you'll hit this peak of frequency of like this, this really heightened level of like, um, you know, stress, um, the kind of, yeah, like so, so, unbelievably sad and like every time that you have that trigger that brings it up you don't quite hit the same level of it it's not that you don't have it's not the thing you don't you know you don't change your mind and go that's now not sad <laughs> you yeah. just don't have the same extremity and i found like talking about clear like i couldn't talk about it at first now i can talk about you know what happened and it doesn't any less sad there's no less sad that he's gone but it, you don't have the same level of intensity yeah of that's emotion doesn't drag me into the pits that's, immediately that's totally true that's totally true people always say that to me about oh i'm nervous you know i don't want to make you upset i don't know how you're going to feel about this and i'm like do you know what i talk about this all the time yeah. i write about it all the time so for me i think yeah it's exposure I've, yeah exposure. I, I have a lot of exposure to it as a as a theme mm. But I remember when Greg was diagnosed, I couldn't say the word terminal and I couldn't say the word palliative. Mm. It was weird. It was like I just used to say the T word or the P word and it's because it was all so new and fresh. And then I gradually, gradually kind of got used to it and I was able to say it. So yeah, that really, that really resonates, the idea. I'd like to talk a little bit further about that post-traumatic growth because, I mean, you know, as we said, you know, to, if we all love someone and therefore we're all likely to lose people. And grief is a word that's often associated with death, but it can mean loss of time. You know, in the pandemic, people will offend. It's very different, different, of course. It's not about, you know, actually, it's really bad to compare grief at all anyway. But, you know, people may have lost, you know, 
relationships may have lost, experiences people were locked in during the pandemic. There's all sorts of different things that happen. And I guess, you know, for anyone that's experiencing grief in whatever format, maybe you could talk a little bit about from your experience, some advice about how to kind of have that or try and look at it in that way of growth, because it can be very hard to see, associate those two G words together, grief and growth, don't feel oh, yeah. like very naturally no, aligned abs- words, do they? When you say it, you're like, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I mean? But abs- it is, it, it's true. Yeah, it is. And, and, and it doesn't come from a place of toxic positivity no. do you know what i mean of like forcing do you know what some... get on with it you should be happy now exactly yeah, tomorrow, find smile. a way yeah go and run a marathon yeah and you'll be for so charity yeah, yeah, get yeah. um yeah raise money for charity for cancer charities it's which is a brilliant thing by the way oh absolutely but yeah, don't absolutely. use that to treat your entire what, grief <laughs> yeah but what i mean is is yeah, that it's yeah. not yeah. it's yeah, much it's more toxic. nuanced yeah, yeah, exactly. than that it's exactly. not this shoehorning because you can't deal with it mm. it's because you can it's because you have because you are dealing with it. That's a really good I think point. that's where it comes from is that if you allow yourself to sit sit in that really often really uncomfortable and painful place and just I don't know, a bit like meditation where they say when you're meditating just observe your observe your thoughts, observe your feelings and then just let them go like a bubble. I think that some yeah, some really transformative moments can occur and I think that really happened to me it was this very deep understanding of impermanence and that maybe I had got caught up in a bit of a hamster wheel in my life of I was in a really well-respected senior role in a university but I and I love my subject that I taught fashion but I was kind of in this wheel of like, everything's about work. And I, I thought, what do I want to do? Like, I wasn't really very conscious of what I was doing. I was thinking, just need to get by, just need to get by. And I thought to myself, in that place, when I sat in that place of impermanence, and I thought to myself, I always wanted to be a writer. Why did that, why did that not happen? Mm. And I thought about all the the tiny, like we were saying about like going back in time and mm. what are these incremental moments that just put, put you on a slightly different course every time so that eventually you're over here. Mm. And so I, and that's, this is where the growth comes from. Suddenly I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't, I didn't have imposter syndrome or thinking that I didn't want people to look badly on me. And I remember I contacted um, a newspaper and just said, I'd really love to write a column for you. It's going to be about this. It's going to be called this. What do you think? I mean, and it was ballsy. I've got no experience of journalism or being a columnist or anything like that. Had nothing to show them as any kind of portfolio. And they said yes. And it was like a real moment of thinking, wow. Is that all I had to do? Just the whole thing is so, I just so it's had awful. To do that. And I hate to say the things your mum goes when you say, if you don't ask, you don't get. It's like it's oh, so true. Oh my isn't god. It? That's I ha- can hear my mum saying, well, if you don't ask, you don't get in my head right now. And That's- my mum will text me and I say, how dare you? I don't sound like that. <laughs> and she doesn't. <laughs> but it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. And I. The imposter and the fear holds us back. So it sounds like you were like, do you know what? Whatever, I'm doing this. And do you know what? It, that was my, my first toe in the water of 
of that growth, of feeling like I've got to take all these chances now because you don't know when the next phone call is going to come. You, that, ju you that, just don't. And that whole, that whole, that first contacting of an, uh, of a paper has led on to so many other ventures now, hasn't it? I mean, are we able to say that your writing is that now? Uh, yeah. I don't know what we can say. What was yes, no, no, you can, we, can, we can say that I'm currently writing my yeah. first book, yeah. that it's... Um, Which is why we, I mean, part of our connection is through, of course, Carly. Yes. Um, so yes. Carly Cook is uh, our agents. It is, it? yeah, our, our literary, joint agent. A, yeah. Our literary agents, it sounds very posh, doesn't it? And, and that's part of our connection, but it's, it's amazing because, again, that's why I said at the start of this, I said there's so many intersections that we have in our life that we haven't known each other per se but like there's this you know in terms of we haven't you know spent time like this but there's so many things that we have connected on there's different experiences and things that you know it's not about comparing and I will say that Kip like can't compare grief and all that but what I mean is that I think both of us have had a lot of growth in terms of things have happened we've gone this is shit but you know yeah. what this shit thing is not going to stop me from having a better life or a good life or experiencing things and that's what's amazing really about what you've done because you've done so many different kinds of things as well because <laughs> that fair to say like what has been your favorite project that you've taken on and what what has what has surprised you the most in what you've done and what i mean by that is like you know you mentioned that going for something and oh they said yes um, <laughs> which actually i think you're probably being you're probably not giving yourself enough credit. Well, you're definitely not giving yourself credit well, for that. But, I, but I, know, I know what you mean in terms of like, sometimes you think this isn't going to happen, but I'm going to go for it. And, it, and you go, oh my God, it just happened. So yeah. I just wonder like, what, what projects and what things have you done that have, you've learned the most from that have surprised you and kind of reinforced that idea of growth? I'm really keen to get that point that, that you can grow through things, even very difficult things. Yeah, um, I think my favourite and probably most strangest thing that, I've done um, coming from that place is uh, curating an exhibition, which is not something I'd ever had any experience in. Just something that I really wanted to do, and I just pitched an idea to a gallery. And I mean, some of the ideas I had were really bananas. I, I said, I want to do some events as part of it, and I wanted to host a dinner um, for strangers in the art gallery at night. And they were like, what? We haven't, we haven't got a kitchen. What? We've like what you? But I explained that what I wanted to do was kind of like an art performance of a a dinner with strangers mm. to talk about, I about really this, really yes, hard yeah. things. And it's a brilliant idea, by the way. It was. Thank you. It was called the Silver Boot Supper Club. Yes, that's. And it name came from yeah. a conversation I'd had with Greg, where I asked him if he had any regrets, mm. and he said. Oh, do you know what? I really regret my record label trying to convince me to not dress like Mark Bolan from T-Rex. <laughs> because in the olden days, when Greg first started the band, he would be, like, there's pictures of him in like silver trousers and platforms and eyeliner and leopard print. Awesome, man. All, all the 70s jazz, yeah. real Mark Bolan. And then the record label was like, no, not in early two, like 2004. Sure. Um, now would be the and, coolest but, thing ever. Oh right? yeah, 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 exactly. But he was like, I wish I hadn't listened. I wish I had done that. And that really spurred me on of like, what, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And that's what the dinner was based on, of what's that like niggling, yeah. burning desire in you that you would love to do? So that's what the, the dinner was based on. And I had 20 total strangers come for this meal. 
Um, it was a three course meal in the middle of an art gallery that had the windows out to Southampton High Street. So all these people were walking past looking in. What was incredible is that I didn't, uh, I know that I'm very easy going about talking about how I feel, what I think. And I thought, what if I'm just going to have to be the kind of like, I don't know, the like driving force just being it. like, yeah, come on, guys, right? Get like getting people going. But actually, I sat down at the table, and within five minutes, the woman next to me, who's actually now a really dear friend, because of this, she um, she came out and she said, "I've never ever said any of this to anybody." Wow. And then wow. the guy who was sat on the left of me, who's like this super science bod at the university, said, "I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy." And then the whole idea was that all of these different people, it would be like a bit of a galvanizing force for people to go and do something that they really would love to do. Um, yeah, that was fun. That's so cool. That I was mean, really, you know, really as, fun. As I listened to that as well, it's kind of, um, you'll know that I talk about like loneliness a lot and like I experience loneliness. I think most people do. I mean, sometimes we're very afraid of it and afraid of saying it's hard to make new friends or like it's scary to try new things or do new things because you feel like you've, you're seen as a certain person, therefore that's who you are. Yeah. And that isn't actually necessarily how life is. And sometimes that creates these constraints and you, you can't change, you can't kind of, it can feel quite stagnating in some ways if you if you let that idea stop you what's amazing about that is someone comes there and they're who exactly they who they want to be and it's amazing how many connections you make with people you just sit down and listen for a few minutes and you go oh my god this person's actually interested in that and that's fascinating and this and yeah absolutely and concept. i and i think vulnerability yes has that kind of magic way about it to connect people and I think the fact that everyone was strangers really helped in that, those initial moments. A bit like seeing a therapist where you can say it because you don't know anybody, so mm. it's fine. But it is, and I think it is that next step into growth, isn't it? Like when, when you are vulnerable, so there, true. I, there is, it's like the opening of the gate for growth to happen. And the irony of not being vulnerable is that you're even more vulnerable. So when you don't allow vulnerability, you make yourself more vulnerable. And in true Stompcast fashion, can you hear this guy's ASMR? <laughs> it's going to rain. And on that note, we're going to run under a tree and say, that's the end of part two. Uh, we're going to pick up in part three and the conversations. A few topics I'd like to cover with you in part three. Let's talk a little bit about supporting people who are going through loss. I think that's really important. And the ways that you can support people with grief. And then let's talk a little bit about, I love life lessons. We've done a few here, but I think we can... Maybe share a couple more life lessons and of course deal with our fun fact of the week. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this part. Um, it's again, it's been very emotive, very powerful, but I think incredibly important. See you all, part three. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.